Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are holy and glorious, and we praise you and thank you this morning for gathering us together as your people, bringing us here to hear your word and receive life from you. Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to enliven our hearts and our minds to your word, to your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might be holy as you are holy. Pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So friends, we are in a series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and we are now entering into the second phase of phaseology. If you look to the art, to your right? Right, yes. You will see we are now in the middle uh, portion of our series. We're beginning uh, to talk about the life of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And this week we are going to look at the beginning of the life of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, his incarnation. And we see from our gospel reading this morning that the Holy Spirit is working right there with Jesus. He is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way into the conception of, at the beginning of the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. St. Saint, uh, Saint Irenaeus, the second century church father, had this really powerful, beautiful image of, of the work of God in, in, uh, in bringing about salvation. He, he said that the, the, father, the Son and the Spirit are like the two hands of God the Father working together to bring the salvation of the world through the incarnation. The two hands of God the Father always working together. And now, friends, every week we confess this reality in the Nicene Creed, whether we say it or sing it, we say, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. As part of the creed summarizes the beginning of the earthly ministry of the Son of God. Now, friends, there is so much we could say about this. We could spend a whole year's worth of sermons on this topic alone. So we need to focus our time. I don't want to drag this on forever. So we're going to look at the theme of holiness this morning. Now, if we look carefully at Luke 1.35, we can see that Jesus Christ is called holy, and the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. Now, this, this, this term, this, this picture, overshadowing, uh, points us back to the Lord who dwelled in the tabernacle in our Old Testament reading in Exodus, overshadowing the tabernacle with his presence. This demonstrates that the holy God was present and was in the midst of Israel. Now these things, two things taken together, point us to our theme. The Son of God was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary so that the holy triune God could dwell with his people and make them holy. Now to examine this theme of holiness in, in light of the incarnation of the work of the Holy Spirit, we need to spend some time thinking about what holiness is. So, when I think of holiness, the first thing that pops in my mind is it's a, being a good person. But not the kind of good person you want to be. Like, the annoyingly good person. You know, you have that person in your life who just has it all together and, and knows it. They're holier than thou, if you will. Now, we often, unfortunately, I would say, associate holiness with legalism. Don't watch this, don't drink that, don't listen to this. Bonnie this morning said, don't dance. <laughs> Friends, this is not what holiness is primarily about. 
And this isn't the only way we experience holiness in our lives. We also experience a sense of holiness at really significant places or maybe moments of transcendence in our life or when we've experienced something really, really unique. Maybe the birth of a child is this, has this sense of, of transcendence or maybe you've met a celebrity in the past or maybe, maybe you've been to some place that was just powerful, just like it, it was iridescent with something beautiful and meaningful. How did it feel? There's an awe, there's a wonder. Maybe there's even a little fear involved. We've all had these experiences of holiness, of transcendence. And they point us to the fact that we were created for transcendence. We were created for experiencing God and his holiness. But all of these experiences, anything that we've experienced in life that felt like holiness, pale in comparison to the Holy One. For God is preeminently holy. And when it comes to what Scripture says about holiness, the primary focus is God himself. Isaiah says it well. He says, God is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. God's holiness is his utter transcendent beauty and life. God's holiness is who he is. It also involves his moral perfection. As Matthew Barrett, the author of None Greater, a book I would highly recommend, puts it this way. God is life. He is life in and of himself. And God is perfectly fulfilled and happy in and of himself. God is not some stodgy curmudgeon, just like withhold. He is life. He is beauty. He is goodness. That is God's holiness. But friends, it is also dangerous. God's holiness is kind of like the sun. It's unique in our solar system. It radiates light and leads to life and beauty and goodness, and it is dangerous. If you travel too close to the sun, you'll get burned. A few weeks ago, I, I somehow got sunburned only on my cheeks. I'm convinced it was the sun radiating to my glasses onto my cheeks. I was outside for like five minutes. <laughs> if you get too close to the sun, you get burned. Not because the sun hates you. Not because the sun thinks you're less than the sun. But because you are different than the sun. You are not all flame. Like the sun, God is good and holy, but he isn't safe. If you get close to him, you'll either be burned or you'll be transformed. To summarize what scripture says about God's holiness, we can think about it in terms of these three following words. Unique, good, and pure. He is utterly and totally unique. There is nothing like our God. He's absolutely good and perfect. He's the definition of beauty and goodness and truth. Finally, God is pure. Like the purity of fire or of the sun, he is pure, so nothing evil can touch him. My friends, this God, this God who is holy and love, we were created to have communion with him, to dwell in his presence and to be holy, to be unique and good and pure in fellowship with him. This is what we were created for. But we chose to try to be holy on our own terms. 
We wanted to be unique, good, pure, in our own strength. Our pride twists our desire for holiness into sin. So now we ask, how do we see this twisted holiness in our lives? Well, let's look at those three things, uniqueness, the good life, and purity. God is truly the, truly the unique and holy one, but, we, but in our culture, we all want to be unique and different. We express that difference in terms of what we do, what we wear, what we watch, what we buy. We think that the most authentic way of discovering, of living, is discovering who I am in my unique, authentic self and living it out no matter the cost. This is the search for holiness on our terms. Uh, It's happened, sadly, more than once. I found myself in some conversation with somebody and, and I s- just blurt out. They're, they're telling me something about what they're doing, and, th- and I tell them, hey, man, you be you. You be you. Friends, this is twisted holiness. This is, self-identific- this is self-expression. This is the creed of our time. This is the water we all live in. Friends, this isn't just something that, that other people do. This is what everyone does. This is the air we breathe. You be you. Make yourself holy. Make yourself unique. And then we define our own good. Now, it might feel for some of us that this society has gone downhill, morally speaking. But the truth of the matter is that everyone is a legalist. Every person has a moral code and definition of what is good. Some ways, I would say our society has become more legalistic than ever. Whether you're a progressive or a conservative, we have our definition of what the good life is, and we judge others by it. Some might consider that abortion is the most heinous crime of the modern era. Others, the ravaging of the environment, both hold their standard of good as absolute and judge the others by it. We all define what is good, and in our pride, we judge others when they don't live up to our standards. Finally, we see the twisted sense of holiness in terms of purity. One of the most obvious ways this pops up in our culture is, is a sort of the dieting and fitness culture. Um, we create these really intricate, detailed rules and lists of, of foods that are, are good and bad, of unprocessed and organic, of weirdly kind of like of clean and unclean. Like the ritual codes of Israel, we demarc what is pure and unpure, and we throw out the pure unpure from our midst. God forbid if I eat something processed. (laughs) But friends, the goal of Israel's code of purity was to show, was to present to the world the holiness of God. Our code only lifts us up as holier than others, those and, and tells them to leave our presence. Now, friends, being healthy isn't the issue. Being healthy is good. The issue is the obsessive desire to be pure and signal to the world how healthy, here holy, we are. We freak out over processed food while others starve, either because they don't have enough food or they don't have access to good, healthy food. Literally, like healthy food deserts in America. This food purity culture can lead to deep injustice, all for the sake of self-defined holiness. 
Friends, holiness isn't about legalism. We actually all want to be holy. Whether it's in terms of uniqueness, goodness, or purity. And that points us to the fact that we were created for holiness. But not on our own terms. We were created to be holy as God is holy. And until we are, that gnawing and unfulfilled desire to be unique, good, and pure will never go away. Friends, this is the state that we find ourselves in apart from God and Christ Jesus. This is the state that Adam and Eve found themselves in. This is the state that Israel found herself in. But God, in his great mercy and with the love with which he loved us, pursues humanity to make us holy again. We see this pursuit throughout the Old Testament, but the pattern is clearly seen in the book of Exodus, from which we read the conclusion of, the climax of this morning. In the story of Exodus, Israel is physically enslaved to Egypt and spiritually enslaved to sin. So what does God do? God rescues Israel from Egypt. He calls them to relationship with him, and he frees them from the slavery of sin. He makes a covenant with them and, and teaches them how to live as holy people with a holy God. God desired to dwell with his people, so he made a way for them, for them to live with this holy God in their midst, even as they were themselves unholy. That's what all of those weird laws are about, friends. That's what the, the temple is about. That's what all the sacrificial system is about, the purity laws. All of these were God making room for his people to dwell with him, a holy God in the midst of a holy people. Friends, it is as if the Son had come to earth. That's what the laws and covenants were about. They were shelters to dwell closer to the radiant heat of God's holy love. Friends, God did this for their good, for our good, so that Israel could slowly become like God, slowly become all flame. We saw a picture of this in our Old Testament passage. I'll just read briefly from it again. And the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Oh, what beauty, what glory, what holiness. And if only that was the end of the story. If only that's where it concluded. No, friends, like Adam and Eve, like us, Israel continually rejected God's way of holiness. They wanted to be holy on their own terms. Now, God... Oh, man, God was patiently working with them. He taught them. He disciplined them. He shepherded them for hundreds of years. But after hundreds of years of Israel cheating on God, friends, that's what idolatry is after all, God sent Israel into exile. But he did not abandon them. In the book of Ezekiel, the prophet the presence of God is very much depicted in the same, same way as we see at the end of Exodus. There's this, this holy presence overshadowing the temple. But as the story progresses in Ezekiel, we see this, the, the holiness of God, the, the presence of God leaving the temple. He, he, he comes up from the temple. He goes outside Jerusalem, and then he leaves. Because of Israel's sin, because of Israel's adultery. But that's not the end of the story. At the end of the book, there's a vision of a new temple. And the glory of God dwells 
present in this temple. And from this temple, a river of living water goes out into the land of Israel, making them holy, making them beautiful, making them good. This vision leaves us hanging on the edge of our seats. Sorry, that's a funny word, it's phrase. We're hanging on the edge of our seats, sitting on the edge of our seats. How will God accomplish this? Will he build another temple? Or will something greater than the temple come? Friends, this vision is fulfilled in a most unusual way. The temple where God's glory overshadows and dwells is not a building, but a person. The spirit overshadows Mary, and she conceives in her womb the Son of God, the Son of David, the Holy One, the eternal Son of God incarnate. Friends, Jesus Christ is the temple of the Lord, flowing with living waters to make his people holy. And he gives us a new identity. He shows us the good life, and he purifies us. The Holy Spirit overshadows Mary so that the Holy One himself could dwell with his people and make his people the adopted children of God. Now, friends, Jesus, if there's a claim to uniqueness, Jesus has got it. He is the most unique person to have ever existed because he is fully God and fully man in one person. We have no claim to uniqueness in comparison to him. We obsess about our uniqueness. We, we try to show it out there. We, we tell people how unique we are with what we do and what we say, all centered in our pride. Now, if Jesus, if someone could do that, it would be Jesus. But what does he do? What does he do with his unique identity? He shares it. Unlike us, Jesus used his unique relationship with God to create a way for everyone everyone to share in his identity. He emptied and humbled himself, as Philippians 2 says, so we could become beloved children of God. And not only that, Jesus shows us how to live the good life. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, bringing about the conception of God incarnate, so we could learn how to truly live. Jesus came as a sinless human being in a sinful world to show us how to live in true holiness. To show us how to live as fully human. To show us the good life. Jesus lived the, lived the life we were created to. The perfect human life. And like his identity, he shares his life with all who trust in him. He is streams of living water going out to all who will trust in him. His life is given to all who believe. And finally, Jesus purifies us. In Luke, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary to make the Holy One, the Son of God, dwell with us as a human being and begin the task of saving us from our unholiness. Now, friends, Mary was an ordinary, sinful human being, just like all of us. The Holy Spirit took her flesh and purified it so that Jesus Christ could be the holy, unique, pure, sinless human who could purify us of our unholiness. In his death and resurrection, Jesus took our sin, our unholiness, our impurity, everything that's defiled us, everything that we have caused defilements in another, every thought, every, everything that we've done that does not glorify God. He took that, and he cleansed it. He cleansed us. 
in Christ, you are made clean. You are undefiled. You are holy. So, how do we live in the abundant life, giving holiness of the triune God? How do we live this? Well, first, we must receive and live in the new identity we have in Christ through the Holy Spirit. When we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and submit to him, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We've said this almost every week in this series so far. Our selfish desires to be unique is purged and replaced with our identity. You are a beloved child of God. When we live in our true identity as children of God, our need to make ourselves unique fades away. In his glory, in his beauty, in his goodness. We don't need to make ourselves famous anymore. God is holy, and he defines you as unique in him, as beloved in him. That's enough. <coughs> now, friends, this is something we all probably struggle with on one level or another, how, how finding our identity in him. And I just want to turn your, our attention that if you doubt this, if you struggle with this, if you desire assurance of God's love for you, of your belovedness, of your holiness in Jesus, remember Holy Communion. Receive from God the holiness that he has given us. We share in his life when we receive from the table of our Lord. Receive and know you are beloved. The Holy Spirit also purifies us and makes us good in Christ. As we said earlier, the only true, joyful, good life is the life that Jesus lived. That is what it means to be human. And this, friends, is the life that the Holy Spirit communicates to us. This is the life he gives us, Jesus' life, as he purifies us of our sinful pride and infuses his love, humility, and selflessness into our hearts and minds. Jesus, Holy, the Holy Spirit purifies us and makes us like Jesus. Friends, that Holy Spirit, the one who overshadowed Mary, is here with us today. This very minute, calling you to grow in holiness. Will you let him? Will you let him purify you? Will you let him make you more holy more good. If you want this abundant life, friends, this good, pure life, if you still have that gnawing desire of holiness, Christ is calling you to holy life with him. Will you give him your life? If you want to explore this good life, if you still have questions, I, I do want to invite you warmly to the Alpha Course. If you still are struggling, come to the Alpha Course. Explore life and meaning with us as a church. And finally, friends, we live by the power of the Holy Spirit as holy lights in the world. As we spend time with this Holy One, as we, as we spend time doing what Jesus does and loving what Jesus loves, we, we begin to radiate the way he radiates. It's almost as if we get close, the closer we get to the sun, the more we become like the sun, the more we become all flame. Now, this phrase I've used a few times in this sermon uh, comes from one of my favorite old sort of Christian legends, if you will. There's a legend about an old Christian monk who was approached by one of his disciples. And the disciples started sharing with this old man the shape of his Christian life, his, what he does, how he prays, who he serves, how he fasts, all these things that he does. And he's like, all right, what else can I do? What else can I do? 
So the old man stood, and as he did, he slowly lifted his hands, and his fingers seemed to be transfigured into ten burning flames. And he quietly said, if you will, you can become all flame. The light of Christ is in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's not hide it under a basket. Let us become all flame. As we approach the Holy One, let us become holy. Friends, there's so many ways we can do this in our lives. And I just, as we turn our minds again to Alpha coming up in another week, I do ask that you would become all flame and have the courage and power of the Holy Spirit to invite and to come. Come and be a part of this time of transformation. Invite those who you love to come. You have, we all have, the Holy Spirit who overshadowed Mary dwelling in you, giving you the glorious life of Christ. Will you become all flame to the glory of God? Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come and transform us. Lord, seal in us the unique identity we have in Jesus Christ. Purify us. Give us the life of Jesus so that we may be lights, holy lights in this world. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.